This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. People such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast, each week you'll learn from people like you that were working full time but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Hey guys, you're in for a treat this week. We have Victor Avila. Uh, I will let you introduce yourself, Victor. Go ahead and just tell your story in three to five minutes for those people that don't know you. Absolutely. Great to uh, be with you. Uh, I'm a retired special agent with Homeland Security Investigations under ICE. Um, I have a, a, a powerful story, not only uh, regarding border security and what I've worked uh, along the border for 20 years, but um, a lot of people uh, know of me because of a tragedy that I went through back in 2011. On February 15th of that year, uh, Special Agent Jaime Zapata and I were ambushed in Mexico by a drug cartel, which unfortunately uh, took the life of Agent Zapata in the line of duty. I survived being shot three times by that cartel. And I'm here by the grace of God to share this story. And, and also my passion for, for not just border security, but you know the protection of our sovereignty in a whole of the United States. Uh, uh, I'm a big advocate for public safety and national security, and that's what I do. I uh, I go around the country speaking, not only sharing the story to a lot of police groups, military groups, but also talk a lot about my expertise along the border. I'm a subject matter expert in human trafficking investigations. I've uh, been talking a lot about that lately and human, excuse me, human smuggling, uh, uh, cartels, fentanyl, and all those issues surrounding uh, what's happening at our southern border. Uh, I continue to go down there and visit very, very often. And right now, I'm actually a candidate for U.S. Congress as well to oh, run awesome. uh, District 23. Congratulations. That's awesome, man. We have so much to cover and so little time. I'll probably have to do a part two with you because. Uh, <laughs> uh, so when, are you, when is the election? In November? No, this will be a primary next year in March. In Texas, the primary is in uh, March of next year. So we started early. Uh, you know, trying to get the funds and all that good stuff to run. Um, I'm trying to primary an individual that's there right now uh, who has basically been, uh, he's been censured. He was censured by the Republican Party in Texas. And he's not up to the par. He's not up to the task that the people required and asked of him to be. And so 
they've been asking for someone with uh, leadership and integrity, you know, something as simple as that, just to bring back integrity to these positions and, and just do what you say you were going to do. Simple as that. I try to steer away from politics. <laughs> it's hard. Since, it's very, it's very hard, but since you're running, um, let's talk about border security and let's talk about, um, that tragedy that you brought up. What were you guys doing in Mexico? So I was permanently assigned there as a U.S. diplomat. Um, I lived in Mexico City. I covered the whole country, traveled a lot in Central America, and I was focusing a lot on, in Mexico, as you can imagine, it was drugs, it was money laundering, uh, arms trafficking, but uh, I concentrated a lot on human trafficking and victims that were being brought into the U.S. from these organizations, these criminal organizations, and putting these victims in places like New York, Miami, Houston, Atlanta, and uh, did a lot of rescues, did a lot of, uh, uh, put a lot of these bad people in jail. And also we had a mission in Mexico to train the Mexican government. We were giving them a lot of money. It was called the Merida Initiative back then, billions of dollars to help them train them in police tactics, a lot of training. Um, and um, we were, I was assigned there permanently doing uh, investigations through the, through the government of Mexico, uh, of course. And um, a very dangerous, very dangerous country to work in. And um, and yeah, back back in 2011, that horrific incident, we were driving. Uh, they put us on this highway. It were, we were ordered to go from Mexico City to Monterey. You picture the map going north um, to go pick up some equipment. It was a very it was a botched assignment that I challenged. And we got overruled by my bosses and ordered to go on this uh, on this road that we were not supposed to be uh, by the, in, the instruction of the ambassador. Nevertheless, on our way back, we were uh, ambushed by two SUVs full of Zeta cartel members. We didn't know there were Zeta cartel members at the time, but uh, they surrounded our suburban and there was a lot of chaos. They shot at us over 100 rounds um fatally uh, uh shooting agent zapata and like i said i survived these these three shots and um it changed not just uh my life and that of my families but a lot of the tactics that we use in mexico because there was this unwritten rule in mexico that if you were a u.s government official the, the cartels will leave you alone the last time an agent was killed in a line of duty in mexico was in 1985 when a DEA agent Enrique Camarena was, uh, you know, kidnapped and tortured and murdered. And so there was this unwritten rule that the cartels are not going to mess with U.S. law enforcement. And that all went out the window in 2011. And it shows you the shift and the imminent threat that we face in the U.S. because the cartels are afraid of no one. They're not afraid of in Mexico, for sure. They control Mexico, the entire country, by the way. It's not just the border towns. They run a parallel government over there. And more importantly, they don't fear the U.S. law enforcement anymore that they used to. And so with the border, the way that the conditions are right now, the cartels are having a free-for-all. They're bringing in fentanyl with all these hundreds of thousands of deaths, uh, methamphetamine, the human smuggling and human trafficking. They're into the lime trade, avocado trade, petroleum. These guys are very, very sophisticated networks that I talk a lot about in the book that I wrote because I want people to understand these are not drug gangs in the corner. These are sophisticated organizations that really um, have an impact here in the United States, not just on our border towns and border states, 
but in every city and every state in the United States, we've become a border state in every state. And it's not just illegal immigration. Yes, that's a big factor, but we're talking about national security. We're talking about terrorism. We're talking about public safety and the impact that it has on communities all over. Now, I've been talking about this for so many years, but now you see the communities in Kentucky and North Carolina in Minneapolis, like, what the heck do we do? What's going on? They're impacted in the school systems. They're impacted in the healthcare systems. And of course, in the criminal justice systems. And it's very, to me, as actually you talk about a little bit about politics, it shouldn't be a political issue. I think it's it should be a nonpartisan issue. It should be, it's an American issue. It should be, uh, we all care for public safety. I think everyone wants to be safe in their neighborhoods. And so it's a shame that it has become political um, when it comes to border security and, and policies, by the way. It's not laws. The laws are the same. They haven't changed. It's just the policies that have been implemented that have hurt us and they continue to hurt us. And let's see what happens here in the next couple of years. So from a law enforcement officer's perspective um, and someone who's on a street level, I think one of the simplest, and you can disagree with me, but I think one of the simplest ways of taking away power from the cartel is to legalize drugs or, or not necessarily legalize, maybe decriminalize, make it not a criminal issue, but more of a medical issue. So you're probably talking about marijuana and um, not just because... marijuana, not just marijuana. I think um, if someone's caught, like there's so many people that are addicts that are caught with drugs and they're obvious addicts. I think jail may not necessarily be the right solution for those people who are addicts. I'm not talking about the traffickers. Right. I'm talking about addicts um what, what's your feeling about that I, I understand I, I i get this question a lot as a matter of fact i used to get this question a lot when i was in mexico because i would be addressing the the government in mexico and the one of the first questions that mexico would say is like well the u.s is the number one consumer of the drugs that's why you know uh we we have this problem and i understand that i i'm a very logical and reasonable person common sense i choose to take out the cartels first I cannot help the, the 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 epidemic that we have with drugs in this country if the drugs continue to come in. I cannot help and rehabilitate a lot of people that are under this power of heroin, methamphetamine, uh, fentanyl, and all these drugs. I can't help them if the, they keep on pouring in. So I say, what I personally think in my experience that if we wanna have an impact and help this part of the community, we have to take out the cartels and 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 stop and really reduce the 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 supply, right? And so, uh, how do you do it? You hurt the 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 uh, the cartels by taking away the money. The cartels function differently. Their whole ideology is power and money. And the way you hurt them is you have to take away the money. One of the first things we learn as an agent is, you know, you go after the drugs and you seize and you do that, and then you quickly realize. That doesn't matter. What what you do is you go after the money. Once you start hitting the money and the and the assets that these cartels have, which is billions of dollars, and it's not just in the U.S. but in forty countries abroad, then you have an impact in taking their power away. Once you take the money, uh, I'm against legalization of drugs. I do agree, uh, and I'm I'm open to the discussion of decriminalization, for example, of marijuana. 
and and it has to be very specific. Uh, there's something that Texas is looking at. Uh, Decolonization. You you get caught with a roach under two ounces. Um, I, I I I could see getting a ticket instead of going to the whole jail system. Right. I'm I'm for that. Um, but the problem here is that the drugs, even marijuana, are not the same anymore that they used to be even everything, 10, 15 years ago. Everything's mixed with fentanyl. Everything. Yes, they're lacing it with fentanyl. They're lacing it with xylazine. There's, I mean, uh, I have an 18-year-old son is about to go to college. And these pills, six out of 10 pills in this country is a counterfeit pill. Think about that. The, uh, you're talking about Xanax. You're talking about Adderall. You're talking about Oxycontin. You're talking about a lot of these pills that we are hooked on in this country. Well, six out of those are not. And they look exactly the same like the pill, but it contains fentanyl. And we're out there experimenting. And I've, I've talked to so many parents that have lost their kids. Now, I've talked to both spectrums. The, the heavily added addicted person that, that died of a fentanyl poisoning. But I've also talked to parents of kids that have never even tried drugs and they had an, a surgery and they ran out of the medication and a friend got them a Percocet and it was fentanyl and they've died too. So you have this big spectrum of, of people that have been impacted by guess who, the cartels. And then who are the cartels uh, working with? China. China's in Mexico bringing the precursors and the chemicals. The, the, the cartel doesn't have that chemicals in there. They are brought in with this corruption that exists in Mexico, into Mexico, they have 100 super labs all over the country in Mexico producing meth. By the way, you know, fentanyl gets a lot of attention, but it's the meth, the methamphetamine that I go around talking to sheriff's departments and police departments, and they tell me, Victor, it's the meth, man. The meth on the streets is killing us, not only with crime, but these meth addicts, again, because they want the, the, the drugs, they'll do anything to get that drug and it starts impacting communities, burglaries, thefts, carjackings, street crime, local crime. Um, and, and so that is a big issue as well. The, uh, when I first came out, there was open air drug markets and uh, crack was everywhere. Crack. And yeah, crack was the big thing. And then as I started transitioning out of patrol, started noticing more pills, 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 and, and heroin was starting to take off. And then by the time I left patrol and made a uh, detective, everyone was doing fentanyl and they had to have Narcan in every car to bring these people back to life. And I couldn't understand why people were choosing to do fentanyl. We don't have a very large, we, we just had a big bust of a meth lab on Long Island in New York. Mm -hmm. um, it was one of the biggest labs and I know that China's supplying a lot of the um, chemicals that are required for it, but we're also seeing a surge in PCP as well. Oh, yeah. PCP. Um, remember, you brought up crack, and I, I used this statistic. In the 80s, it was 10,000 deaths associated to crack. 10,000. Remember how big and it was, everybody was talking about it? Yes. Well, we have over 200,000 deaths mostly fentanyl, not all of them are fentanyl, about 70% are fentanyl, the other ones are heroin and such, opioids. And no one seems to be really blinking an eye, man. And uh, I want to see, I was at the border last month and uh, I pick up the, the I'm, I'm a bilingual, I bilingual and I speak Spanish and I was picking up the radio stations from the other side in Mexico, listening to them. And it struck me that there was a PSA, a public service announcement commercial in Spanish in, in playing in Mexico about fentanyl. 
and be careful with your kids and I, I, like an awareness, right? And I'm like, why aren't we doing that in the US? It should be all over the news. It should be all over billboards. It should be at least something to tell our kids and our youth, listen, it's not, you're, you're playing with your life. If you take a pill that you have no idea where it came from, especially if it came from the internet or it came from a friend, you're playing with your life. You're not, you're no longer, yeah, I'm going to take a Molly because I'm partying. And well, that Molly might not be Molly, man, or it is Molly with uh, fentanyl in it. And it's become a crisis and, and it's China killing us and it's the cartels and Mexico, all these people. But we don't see, I don't see the reaction and the, um, the, the sense of urgency. I just got back from Israel yesterday. And I spent two weeks in Israel. I see the T-shirt. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let me tell you, um, we got a very good uh, border security briefing. I went to all their borders. I was in the Syrian border, at the Lebanon border, uh, the Gaza Strip, the West, the West Bank, um, and they're serious about their borders. And they're, you know, they really take this seriously. And and just that sense of urgency and awareness, I don't see it happening here. Um, and I think we should. One thing that that I believe is that I wouldn't leave my front door open and just let anyone walk in and out of my home. So why would you do that with your country? Why it would makes you no sense. That? I'm talking about vetting. You know, I'm all I'm a pro legal immigration. I really want people to come to this country legally. That's right. all I ask for. But what's what's happening right now is complete lawlessness. And you're absolutely right. There's no vetting. So we don't know. I did a, a, a an interview this morning, an early interview, and we talked about the number of terrorists that have been caught. And in fiscal year, which the fiscal years, in the, in, as you know, in the government run from October to October or September to September, the way you want to see it. Um, and they caught over 190. But since then, and we're already in, in, in June, um, we're over 200 individuals caught at the southern border on the terror watch list and no fly list. Now you think about that, man. This is this is serious. Why do we have to wait for another attack in this country for us to wake up? I keep telling people we're suffering three 9-11 attacks a month, except it's not with the airplanes and it's not with bullets. It's with pills and they're killing our youth with uh, these pills and somehow it, it nobody cares about it. And I don't see the response from the U.S. trying to protect our public and say, wait a minute, you're, you're killing us here. Um, because if it would be attacked any other way, it would be this whole world. Uh, you know, you remember how, how we came together after 9-11. But I'm trying to tell people we need to come together now. Why would we have to wait for something tragic to happen? Mm, yeah, I, I don't know why. I think it, it it's because it's not as publicly seen you know i think the awareness uh, correct the awareness people are dying and it's kind of one of those things it's like when you see a homeless person you walk by uh if you don't see too many it's just one homeless person or it's just one here and there uh and i think people have a mindset of oh they're just junkies that are killing themselves so you know they don't necessarily see it so they don't have the awareness it's not top of mind like I'm you glad said, you brought. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I'm very, very in tune with is ment mental health. Uh, I went through PTSD after that shooting, and I went through. And I understand it in, in the law enforcement world and 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 the, those that serve. 
But I understand mental, we have a lot of problems with mental health in this country because a lot of the, the homelessness problem is related to mental health. I was just in DC and right before I went to Israel and oh my goodness, I was, what the world is going on? Phoenix, Arizona, the same thing. Uh, yes, I've seen them in California. Well, now it's in a lot of places around the country and I'm thinking, you know what? These people need help. And sometimes they don't, even if you want to offer the help, they say, no, I want to live in the street. I need, I think we need to help them. I think we need to uh, help these people because not only uh, they have issues with mental health, but a lot of them are committing crimes, uh, the drugs, all these issues. And then people ask, why did this pu person push this other person on, in New York into the subway, right? How many of those cases have we seen? Well, they're not right in their minds, but why are they there? Why isn't anybody doing something to help them? Actually remove them. I'm for helping these people. Sometimes they might not be voluntarily, but we need to do something for them to help them put them in a facility and say, listen, it, whether it's medication, whether whatever it is, the diagnosis, whatever it is, but we need to start doing something because that has gotten out of control, especially with the shootings and uh, a lot of it related to mental health. Yeah. So I love the way you think. I love all of your policies. I support your um your run but i think a big problem is half the country thinks differently so Man. we have to, we have to somehow bring in that other i'm an optimist and i believe that eventually the pendulum will swing so far to one side that um the minority voices won't have such a big impact it you know common sense i honestly believe common sense will and good people will take the mantle and say, okay, we, we need to make a change. You're right. You're right on. I agree with you hundred percent. I talk about this all the time. Um, I, I'm kind of a little tired of talking to the same people that think the way that I do. I'm like, no, put me in a room and I'll say the room, the liberals or Democrats or what, or people that just think to think differently than I do. I want to talk to them, but I really do want to have a conversation. I don't want to yell. I don't want to scream. I don't want them to call me a racist just because I think differently. I don't call the, you know, I don't, I really want to sit down and say, listen, this is the way I think I want to listen. I want to listen. I'm a good listener. I want to listen to the issues. I want to listen to, but I think that once you do that and able to do that, that we could bridge that gap. I mean, it sounds a little cheesy nowadays, but my goodness, look at the swamp in DC and the disconnect. I, I felt this disconnect as an agent, uh, Washington, D.C. was this whole other world, and down here in the field was reality. And we had people in D.C. making these decisions that had no idea what we were doing in the field. And I don't know if you went through that in your police department. Sometimes, like, they have no idea what's actually going on, or, like what kind of equipment we need or we don't need. Uh, and someone, some kid or some staffer made a decision, and they haven't even been at the border. They never even been into Mexico and so I want to be that person because I always used to say, why isn't there someone like me over there that knows a little bit, has some experience? Well, I want to be that person now to be able to, to, to break that barrier a little bit. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with working with, with everyone, everyone. I, I, I say it all the time. It's very difficult um, that the issues that I talk about really should it matter, it matter to everyone. The fentanyl pills don't care <laughs> who you vote for. Fentanyl pills don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. They have no idea. They, it's death, and it's affecting everyone. But I always say this, David, why do we have to wait? A lot of victims in this family, in this country, families, 
by the time that happens to them, it's too late. You became a victim already, you know, and I'm like, no, we're trying to prevent that. And, it, and it's, it's, I understand it's multifaceted. It's the border, it's security, it's national security. It's, it's China, it's Iran, it's Cuba, it's Venezuela. I mean, we got big issues to deal with here. And I think the, the normal everyday American is, I know we have soccer practice and we have to pay the bills and the taxes and the, and the gas and all these things that we have to deal with every day. But I also think that we have a responsibility as Americans to say, wait a minute, who's my representative here? Who represents me in my block? There's somebody in your local city council or your county commissioner or wherever you live in your parish that represents you. Do you know their name? Do you have their phone number? I think it starts locally. People tell me all the time, what do we do with this federal issue? Well, you don't have to call the White House. How about you start at your community and go to a school board meeting and go to a, a county commissioner's meeting or a city council just to see what the heck they're deciding? Because guess what? The local people are the ones that really impact you directly at your house, uh, your street, whether you get a light, whether they fix the street or not, all these issues. That politics works the other way. It's from the local level on the way up. Then you go to your state rep and your congressman and all that. But I tell people, you have to be at least a little bit aware. Just by being aware, you start changing the dynamics. Because if you live in La La Land, I call the phone, I call this La La Land. If you're in La La Land, I tell my kids, get out of La La Land for a little bit. Come back to reality because life is real and, and Instagram is not. And, and you need to pay attention to what's happening here. And it, it, it makes a huge, huge difference when you start getting involved. You'll be like, wait a minute. They're, they're, they're deciding my fate. And I use, uh, it might be a little controversial, but I use the, you know, the mass mandates and where, what business you go into or not. That was all decided at the local level. It wasn't your governor. It wasn't the president. It wasn't all these people. It was your local government that said you could go here, but you cannot go there. And those are the people that you elected. And all of a sudden, you people said, why does the county judge have all this power? Well, they do. And you might have voted for that person. So now you have to really think twice about looking at the candidate and individual as how they think and what they want are just the best for my community and my family. What's the title of the book? Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. If you, uh, if you go to uh, um, uh, Amazon, Agent Under Fire, it'll, it'll pop up. You're going to get a good, um, I wrote this book two years ago. And if you read it today, you're going to think that I wrote it yesterday. Because what I did, David, is I, I talk about a, a couple of a, a my career and I, a drug cases I did. I, I put a very, very graphic human trafficking case on purpose. Because I want people to understand that human trafficking is real. Sexual exploitation and child trafficking exists. And I, because I did it, I saw it with my own eyes. I can't get those images out of my head. So I put a, a case that I worked out of Mexico and New York in there. But, uh, and then of course I go into detail about my Mexico assignment and the shooting. But then I wanted to tell people that I, I went through an identity crisis. I, I also know border security. So at the end of that book, I write about the wall, sanctuary cities, uh, asylum, all these issues that are happening right now. And if you read that, you'll get a very, very good grasp and understanding, at least, again, to be aware of what the realities that happens here on the, on the ground, on the field, versus what you might hear on the media or not hear in the media. I give you the reality, the truth. 
I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm going to order it as soon as we get done with this. Uh, I just have a couple more questions for you and then I'll let you go. I really respect your time and I respect all of your years of service. Uh, how many years? So were you uh, border patrol or were you ICE? First? ICE. I was, I was a special agent for ICE. So ICE, I came in, I actually started as a U.S. Customs special agent. And U.S. Customs and remember INS are the yeah. ones that got merged and you know as ICE. And ICE has two divisions, the, the special agents, the criminal investigators, and the ERO, Enforcement Removal Operations, which is the part that you hear a lot about in the news, uh, the deportations, the camps, and all that. We work a lot with them, too, but we're the criminal investigators. We investigate crimes, anything that has a nexus to the border, people and goods, money, uh, drug trafficking, all of that uh, that touches. I mean, I worked in Europe. We were doing uh, uh, artifacts. Um, uh, wow. people that steal stuff from museums and we try to get them back. Uh, we work a lot on uh, international, uh, intellectual property rights. A lot of people think, hey, the Gucci purse is not a real Gucci purse. Yeah, we do that too. But we also do a lot of pharmaceuticals. For example, the toothpaste that you use, is it a real toothpaste or is it a counterfeit toothpaste? And so we deal a lot with commercial fraud, everything that comes to that border. And so that's the area that I work a lot. Wow, that's really, really cool. <laughs> you have, uh, do you know how many countries you've been to? I've been a lot and I had never been to uh, Middle East and I just got back. And let me tell you, I got a whole different perspective of the world. And I've been to a lot of countries and uh, I love to, one of the words that I wrote in my book is assimilation. And I think there's a big shift that the people that are coming out legally, illegally, whatever, they're not wanting to assimilate to the United States. You have to, my parents did. My parents came to the country legally and they assimilated. That means they wanted to become Americans. They did become Americans. They became naturalized citizens a long time ago. And they, people say, what does that mean? How do you become assimilate? Well, it means God. It means family. It means hard work. It means not committing crimes. It means not taking from the government. It's not being a, a public charge to the government. It's all these issues. And guess what? Better for my family. We're the first ones in my family, my sisters and I, to graduate from college. And so I want the better for my kids. And here we go. And so that's the American dream. That, I think, right now has been lost. There is no assimilation. People that are coming into this country right now, they want their country here. Mm. You can't have it that way, man. You have to be able to talk to your neighbor and assimilate. You know, you work the streets. You know these groups of people. They don't want to get out of their communities. And that's not a good thing. We need to be able to share and, and participate with our community from wherever you're from, but it's called assimilation. You have to want to do that. Uh, but anyway, I, I love talking about all that. And, uh, and, and, and so it's, it's a little bit, you get a little bit of that in the book as well. I can't wait to read it. You are the first ICE agent that I've had on and the first person uh, you said you're running for US. Congress. Congress, yes. You're the first congressman, potentially. Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, everything goes well. Um, I just have five more quick questions for you, and we'll, we'll end it off here. But I definitely want to have you on again. This is, uh, we blitzed through so many quick topics. Yeah. So, so many, there's so many things that I, I'd love to ask you. Like, if you could snap your finger and money was no issue concerning the border, your shirt, your T-shirt says Israeli Defense Forces Intelligence. So I imagine they really, like you said, they have their finger on the pulse of it. But if if we could shift funds 
from sending money overseas to you know different countries and we could focus on the US first money was no issue because we have billions and billions of dollars mm -hmm. you could snap your finger you're a king of the US how would you <laughs> fix the issue of our border security using things that you learned from Israel today how would you do it today very very simple and um and one thing that I think is not, which is always welcome, is say we need more resources, more personnel. I always welcome that. Of course, if you have more police officers, that's great. But that's not the answer. We have the personnel. We have 22,000 Border Patrol agents, but it is policy. We have to implement the policy that works. And the policy that I like is called the law. It's already written. And I use this example, like uh, when Title 42 went away, and they started saying, hey, Title VIII, which is the immigration law, is going to kick in. Well, what do you mean it's going to kick in? The laws don't kick in and kick out. It's like DUI. You, DUI, imagine the DUI, if you got the, the order from your mayor through the chief of police saying, we're not going to enforce DUI anymore. You're going to stop them, and you're going to pull them over, and you're going to identify them as drunk, but then you're going to let them go. That's ridiculous. Well, that's what we're doing at the, at the southern border. So the first things that we do is two things, uh, personnel. First, we're going to enforce the law. Simple as that. But enforcing the law means enforcing the law, and it requires the, the personnel to be there. But second is, what leadership and what people do you put in these posts? Not people like Alejandro Mayorkas, but we need patriots that, because um, a lot of it, and you, you probably know about this and you feel about this, and it's from your chief of police. And it comes down, the same thing is from the president, the Department of Homeland Security, down to the sector chief, down to your supervisor, down to the field agent. We need the leadership, the strong leadership. And a lot of these different posts, that's one of the first things I would change. I would put strong leadership because once you have strong leaders, then you have strong soldiers and you have strong followers that will then become leaders. And that's what we know. I also would promote people that have been there, done that. A lot of the times in the in the in this law enforcement world, you you get an appointee, and you're like, this guy's never even done anything. Right. Didn't know what it is to do a drug bust or how to handcuff anybody. I want somebody in these positions, and we have a lot of those leaders that should be in these leadership positions to then share that information to the rest. So personnel, you need to do a lot of shifting with them, and uh, and enforcing the law. Very simple. There's others that get a little bit complicated, like Mexico. I would have a very, very uh, a unique conversation with Mexico because, hey, they're, they need to be held accountable, too. They're not doing anything over there. It's, it's not an ocean. It's a, a sovereign country, and they're very proud of their sovereign country. Let me tell you, I work there. They're not our friends. They're not our friends, but they, want, they always take advantage of us, and I'm tired of it. I, I, like, listen, you need to do something on that side. Help me help you, right? All the all the people that and the drugs and the China and the illegals. Well, there there it's illegal in in Mexico, but why don't they enforce the law there? So we have a lot of influence on Mexico when it comes to money and trade. I will use that to benefit the United States, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm I'm for the United States first, because you know who puts their citizens first? Mexico, Israel, and all the rest of the world puts their citizens first. Yep. But if I say I put Americans first, you're a racist. Why? 
Why is, there, why is that wrong? I'm a proud American. Let me tell you, yes, my heritage is from Mexico and, and I'm born and raised in El Paso and Texas and, and, I, and, and I love America, man. And uh, it doesn't mean that I ignore my heritage. And, and I, no, no, no. There's two separate things. And I explained this in the book as well because um, this, it, I worked in Mexico. Let me tell you, after the shooting, it was very, I went through a very difficult thing. All of a sudden, I was a foreigner. I, was, I could have been in China and there's all these issues that happened. They wanted to detain me after I was shot. And why? Because I wasn't from there. All of a sudden, the, their laws started kicking in when they want to. In Mexico, believe me, they have a very, very strong immigration laws. They have a very strong. And when they, when they opened that book up in Mexico with the real laws, be, be careful because they will enforce them. But the problem is that they don't enforce them over there because of the corruption, the cartels and all that other stuff. So those are the two major things that we do. And, and I think it would immediately, I'm talking about within weeks, a couple of weeks, you would see an impact, a huge impact, because we need to disrupt what's happening with the illicit substances and all that is coming. And then helping our U.S., like you mentioned, we have a lot of people hooked on drugs. So now we could focus on helping our people. Now, when you're starting to feel stressed, how do you save yourself? How do you show yourself love? That's a great question, man. Um, it's hard. I, I, um, I went through a lot and um, people in law enforcement, I think our nature is, is always look after everybody else, including my family, my wife. And I tell you, I give a credit to my wife. I'm here because of her. I'm, uh, she stuck by me and my kids are so resilient. I owe that. I owe that to God and to them for sticking by me because I wasn't a really good person to be around with. I struggled a lot had a lot of nightmares and a lot of issues after the shooting, but I, I overcame I, 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 uh, with the help of God and counseling and all that. And so I still struggle with the personal, right? How do you take care of yourself? Because if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of others. I always use the example of the airplane. What do they tell you? Put your oxygen mask first, so then you could pass it on to somebody else. Well, that applies in your family. That applies in the world. I think the United States needs to put on their correct. They need to put on uh, their mask first, physical. You look like you look like you still train. Do you, can no, you drop it? Can you walk uh, no, down I, and give me thirty? I'm trying to maintain here. I'm a black belt in karate, but I haven't trained in a long time. And uh, so, mental health, physical health, absolutely, absolutely, all that. Uh, for me, I think it's uh, spending time with my family. It's very simple. I'm a, I, I love to grill and I love to smoke. And so if I'm out there on the grill, my, my, uh, my stress levels just calm what down. Are you puffing on cigars? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little cigar with a, with a, with a, uh, uh, a refreshment, an adult refreshment. Okay. I did that a lot with the, the guys that I was with in Israel. They did that a lot. And uh, you just relax a little bit. And, and, um, and it, it, it's a huge difference for me. I, I, I was away from my family for such a long time in my law enforcement career. I neglected my family a lot. I missed birthdays. I missed activities. I missed a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I'm an optimist like you. And I saw the positive of, of what, as, as horrible as the incident that we went to, I had to focus on what the positive was. I wasn't going to be an agent anymore. I lost my career, and it's a shame. And that's a whole other story. You'll read about that in the book. 
But then I said, you know what? I had to focus on the positive. And the positive was all of a sudden I get to spend a lot of time with my son and my daughter and my wife and, and my family. And, and wow, I do things that I didn't do with them before. And that was very fulfilling to me. I um, want to respect your time because I know you got another thing coming up right yes. now. But um, what's your, two last questions for you. What's, what's your greatest strength? What's your, your power, your best ability today? To be underestimated. I like it. I love to be underestimated. Uh, you don't see me coming. I want you to keep on thinking that, ah, don't worry about Victor. He's nobody. He's not doing great. You think that. I love it. I love it. And just for fun, my last question for you. If you had a comic book superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, my God. It has to be. Well, I, I, would, I would pick Superman. I think is the ability to what, what Superman carries. Like he, uh, he has everything. He could fly. He could uh, do all this stuff. And so I would, I would relate more with Superman than any other some people. Some people hate on Superman because they say he's too overpowered. He's like, he has everything. He's super strong. He's super fast. He's smart. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. <laughs> that's the best. But to, do, to use it in the right way, right? What's this saying? And something about justice. I love that. I love that about, I think that's an American dream type of a superhero where he's protecting the, 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 and seeking justice for everyone. And, and I certainly try to do that myself. Victor, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm going to send you a text as soon as we're off of here. Okay. Thank you so much. It's, it's been an honor and thank you for your years and years of service and you continue to serve. Thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, Hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.